1: and the secret proceedings.
0: Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside of this world. We must guard against the military industrial hunter. UFOs. Paranormal phenomena Please, make yourself at home. I want to thank you, Veritas member, for making this program possible. Please subscribe at VeritasRadio.com to listen to both segments of tonight's interview and all of our material. Tonight's special guest is George Lobono, author of the book Alien Mind, The Thought and Behavior of Extraterrestrials. Tonight's interview will be an in-depth discussion that will hopefully offer an understanding of how the brightest beings in the universe think and interact with others using highly nuanced fractal logic, and how conversely, aliens may have infiltrated the highest levels of power on Earth. George Lobono will be with us shortly. And visit the Veritas store for MMS and our futuristic metal case USB drives with all of our seasons and bonus material. And to get in touch with us for member support, media inquiries, you want to be a guest or are a whistleblower, there is a link for you by clicking on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. Rather than debate whether UFOs and aliens exist, George Lobono quotes human witnesses and informative aliens in a startling new exploration. Of the thoughts and assumptions of our extraterrestrial neighbors. 65 years after Roswell, evidence suggests that aliens are trying to get humans to step beyond elite greed and failed ecology in order to develop a more mature kind of cosmic citizenship. George fills in some of the blanks in public knowledge about aliens and will help you understand how aliens think and feel about their interactions with humans and other aliens. We will discuss how alien science and how humans can both detect and identify different types of aliens and their energy networks. Could there be an alien race that may actually want to militarize us by buzzing defense installations and breeding an obedient client population via abductions, then worsening other strains on Earth? Why would they do that? First and foremost, to create anti-alien sentiment that would isolate us from friendly neighboring aliens, allowing a specific alien race to do as they please here. Is this is why the Star Wars Defense Shield is in place? To prevent full contact? Did you know that some aliens consider human sleep an abbreviated form of death and a waste of time, since they use wireless negative cycle technology that renews their energy, thus avoiding the need for sleep? For this and much more, George Lobono is coming up next. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas.
1: Hellier, and you are listening to Veritas. George
0: Lobono is a writer and investigative researcher living in Davis, California. After studying U.S. history in graduate school, he traveled the world and worked as a freelance reporter and essayist, author of books on various topics. His latest one, Alien Mind: The Thought and Behavior of Extraterrestrials. It quotes human contactees and informative aliens in a starly new exploration of the thoughts and assumptions of our extraterrestrial neighbors. And directly from Davis, California, I would like to introduce George Lobono Du Veritas. Hello, George, and welcome. Thank you, Mel. It's great to have you on, George. And I have to ask you because I finished your book last night and it, it took me a few days to read, and it's one of those books that you have to read more than maybe two or three times to get it all. But for those who don't know who you are, George, tell us a little bit more about yourself, uh, your background, and how you started researching the topic of aliens and extraterrestrials.
1: Well, um, I have this book called Alien Mind, which uh, you can read for free on the internet at alienmindbook.org if you don't want to mess with the paperback. Anyway, I got interested in this subject. I I originally uh, did graduate study in the underside, essentially, of U.S. history and also studied some journalism. started working as an investigative journalist, did other writing. But what happened that really keyed my interest is in 1995, 17 years ago, contact essentially began in my case. Now, uh, prior to that, I thought it impossible because of the speed of light limitation on you know, on, on just anything I thought. And what happened instead was, uh, obviously, I I was standing in a park in San Francisco and essentially communication Began And, uh, you know, I thought of myself as fairly intelligent because I'd had a scholarship to the University of Illinois for academics b- previously, but this was way more intelligent than me. And it wasn't merely, uh, yeah, obviously, it's easily to conceive of someone more intelligent. I was aware of you and a little bit started on human telepathy. But all this, this was a different character, as though all the concepts were essentially resonating from a, a different set of assumptions. And as a matter of fact, uh, it, it, more than one uh, thought was essentially conveyed and they were faded so that they would sort of resonate more than one thought at the same time it seemed like it, it, it also is though so it was resonating in a much larger space which essentially i later learned to be kind of a structuring of hyperspace so it continued and explicitly was suggesting yeah et and uh i was just awed, you know my hair stood up for days on end because uh It was different. You know, all of a sudden, your little world is never going to be the same. Everybody's a contactee, has the same story. But I started to do research on this subject, and the only thing I could assume was that if I were to be contacted, it must have been in the context of the fact that, you know, I'm an investigative researcher. If I find out about something like this, I'm going to not only look into it, but I'm going to investigate, and I'm going to get the story out. And uh, that's my assumption for the only reason why I would have been contacted essentially to, to dig further. I was provoked to, to think beyond what many contactees just stop at, you know, eat sort of like between two points, us and ET. I was provoked to criticize and look for, you know, what certain or even other ETs were actually doing regarding humans.
0: And for those people, right from the beginning, let me ask this question. For those people who say, okay, this is telepathy, how can we know that what George is saying is true? For the skeptics, how do you put him to rest?
1: I would put it this way. Um, well, there's two bases for telepathy. One is, um, y- you know, in the human brain, we have brain frequencies from about 5 hertz, that's cycles per second, to about 30 hertz. And in that range of frequencies, there's, at the lower end of that, from 5 hertz to about maybe 13 hertz, 11 hertz. ELF. That's, yeah, that's what's called ELF, extremely low frequency. That means they're just long wavelengths. As a matter of fact, Philip Corso who wrote The Day After Roswell, the colonel in who was reverse engineering or helping people reverse engineering copy down Roswell technology, said that the Army investigators determined after the Roswell crash that the alien brains had a frequency that was just that, long, low-frequency waves. Meaning, The interesting thing, it means that those kind of waves can pass right through solids, believe it or not. You know, remember, the atom is mostly empty space, and if it was really short wavelengths, then atom is more adept at picking that up because it also has fine wavelengths. But long, lower frequencies go right through solids, in other words, right out through the brain. Well, that's just one base, basis. There's, there's a further basis in this new kind of energy science. Well, how I could know that it wasn't just me or maybe another human is, is this. Um, psychologists have, have shown that if you are thinking thoughts in your head and you, know, you have a verbal thought like, I'm going to go to the store, when you think those verbal thoughts your vocal cords actually vibrate a little bit um in other words your brain and your thoughts are cycling into your body as a whole it's the exact same with et such that if there is a contact going on and this is happening in real time it's not channeling like i'm i was picking up on something in the past or disembodied something of this real flesh and blood et's and uh it 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 cycles into their bodies, and you pick up the tenor of that. It. It's as though you have your own tenor tenor in your in your own head of your own thoughts. Your physiology, you kind of like your voice in a sense, but it's it's the structuring of your whole body. Same with ET. So if an ET were to have telepathy with you, you, you begin once you get a little bit more depth at it, and it, probably right from the outset, you start to pick up on the the physiology, the 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 thinking patterns, obviously the thinking patterns. Because when thoughts are conveyed, it's not just a linear sentence; it's a whole clustering of thoughts. So you're picking up on more than just what is being "quote" said, and and so you 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 it cycles in. You you pick up their tenor, their body form. You could if you you get better at it, you start to pick up exactly what you know what they even look like from in a, in a dim sort of faded way.
0: Is it almost like what Jim Spark said? You, you're probably familiar because you quoted him on the book, I believe, when when he says that uh, the aliens were. Even in a second, they would uh, they would uh, put thought into his mind, but it could be the size of a book, instantaneously. Is that what you're referring to?
1: Yeah, similarly, but I would I would refine that and even say this: um, humans are we're used to sort of using our mouths primarily. Once you graduate, or once you begin to do these mind communications. Any mind can do this, by the way. Any person of sound, I'd say just good mind, because we don't want the criminals in this mix if we can avoid them, because they just don't quite fit. And they probably don't, you know, they just don't know how to sort of manage this kind of thing as well, you know, and they become obvious. Um, Is that, um, is that, sort of, is though, you know, every time you have a thought, you have, the thought itself, but then you have like secondary and even third or tertiary sort of ideas surrounding that. Well, aliens in mind communications are also communicating those secondary and tertiary communications, meaning the origin of those thoughts, the context of the thoughts, a little bit about the science surrounding it. And that's probably what Sparks was picking up on is that, you know, it seems to him like a whole book or like a whole tree. You know, I, I put it, a metaphor I use is it if we speak with our mouths, we have like a little line. It's almost like a line on a leaf of, of wording, you know? But when you telepathically uh, communicate, it's as though you're communicating the whole sort of image or a sense of the the, the networking of an, an entire tree, which is very different. Although it's faded, it's a little more faded. It's not as loud and vivid as you know the as you're, the thought when you're thinking of like a bright, vivid thought or, or a loud, you know, sort of verbal thing.
0: Right. And I, last week I interviewed a, a former former intelligence agent from the UK, uh, George, and essentially he discusses microwave warfare. And he also told me that right now any retail store can buy this this piece of equipment that can actually transmit thoughts and waves into people for example there's a prospective thief there the thoughts could go into his mind not his ear his mind saying maybe you don't want to do that if you want to go to jail if you don't want to go to jail and the person would immediately just say no or they can use it to say if so if a lady's looking at a nice dress the thoughts come to, to her mind saying you look so great in that dress and this specific store uh, I believe their revenue increased about six thousand percent for the the year after they they started with this this machine. And if you think about it, when you you're talking, you're basically hearing the vibrations in your ear, which is so you know my my think thinking domestic uh, earthling head is so past, if you will. When you have aliens that are transmitting thoughts, isn't this what the machine does it 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 goes beyond what our ears can hear in such a slow way
1: well what they they do what you notice over time is this you get a real vivid impression of it uh, for example, aliens are communicating in a network they have their, usually you contact an alien it's an alien on a ship or in a location where there are a bunch of other aliens around. So you can, if you slightly expand the envelope, it's, it's not like slow, like, you know, it's flowing out at the rate of just, you know, a thousand miles an hour. It's mm-hmm. immediate. You can expand it out on a huge scale. If there's a scientist, his name is a Naval Surface Weapons Laboratory um, physicist, Dr. Eldon Bird, a PhD. And his quote is that uh, it doesn't take any time for these waves, these new kind of energy waves, they're called scalars, also called gravitics or, or electrogravity. It doesn't take any time for them to go from one point in space to another. Because it sort of, it sort of resonates out on a much larger scale down into and, and through the universe, and so, so when you're communicating with Nathan, what you notice is that. Um it's as though you notice that there, there are other aliens in the mix. You start to pick up on that because, you know, they have this community sense. It's more social identities, not so much individuals. We have problem, of course, is that you have to watch out whether the community that they live in or their, their regime can be a little bit repressive. And stifling of people, you're essentially trying to censor or put down dissent or, or certain thoughts that are negative about what they're doing, for example, abducting humans. Uh, you know and that 's a real concern now, but uh, what you feel is that it feels as though when you 're communicating with Neil, it feels as like their end of it and essentially the technology they 're using which sort of amplifies that. It, sort of, it boosts the signal so they can pick up on it more easily and also essentially when they think it can, you know, it can resonate to you. It feels like it's in a much larger space. Before that, you would have thought, well, it's like my thoughts are in my head. Well, all of a sudden, wow, you feel that it's out in a bigger space. You sometimes don't know what the nature of that space is if you haven't studied science and physics and certainly astronomy, but you, certainly, you feel it right on.
0: With this technology that I quoted a, a minute ago, how can you discern, if this technology exists on planet Earth, how can you discern that the information that you got did not come from, say, somebody in the black budget world?
1: Well, I've talked to someone who thinks he was targeted with this, it's called psychotronic technology. It's yes. both mind-activated and mind-sensing. It goes two ways. And he was, they were trying to introduce him at a certain corporation, trying to get him involved in in a, a technology project believe it or not they were trying to look for uh technology that could be used for essentially that mind reading or mind sensing technology mm-hmm. and uh he started after he, he told the boss he said he, you know he didn't want to do it you know he was reluctant he didn't want to be read into something that sounded secret and it was like it's all the, you know just off of the main spectrum and he quit eventually or was, and eventually he started getting, seemed like threatening messages using kind of like a psychotronic technology. But they were very, very crude. What you would notice, for example, if it's something out of character, not your thoughts, is, is exactly that: is that. It's not your way of thinking, you're not your tenor, but that assumes that you already know this kind of thing goes on in the first place. The danger is for people who have, it's where we are right now in time. People that don't think there's a such thing as telepathy or this new technology that we are certain exists, because if you th- put thoughts into their head, it's like they're thinking, "Wait a minute, is that me?" And if the thoughts were so bizarrely different from them, they could think they're having mental problems, or they could think that, "Oh, I'll do something different now." And you know, if where if we had a simple awareness of, "Oh, yeah, aliens exist. Uh, there's a new there are new kinds of technology. This is merely one of them. It may actually have potential for education, or, or for you know, for other things in the future." Rather than mind control, we have, if we're not aware that it's there, then you know someone is going to try to abuse it, and that's reportedly what what people you know essentially say. It's different from you in character. It can almost have almost a tinny sort of sound to it in a sense, and you know it's not you. you, you, you the thing is, this is anybody in their lifetime they have a good sense of who they are, how they thought, even how they thought in the whole of their past and their life. If something happens and it's bizarrely different, they know something's going on. You know, some people think, "Am I on drugs?" or they might think. Uh, this is just not me. And if they know that telepathy and this communication, this kind of technology exists, they might just think, No, yeah, I, I think I know who it might be.
0: Tell me once again the very first occurrence when this happened to you.
1: So I was in, in a park in San Francisco, and uh, essentially it was, it was communicating to me what the, the visual, like in the in the dark of the mind, what the visual sort of look of a fifth dimension in three and fourth dimensional space would look like. And, you know, I'd always been interested in this particular thought because I'd heard that scientists said that, you know, you could solve math problems faster and more easily by simply working them in an extra fifth dimension. It's sort of like outside and containing the whole thing. It's what quantum computers essentially would do. They would look at all the possibilities and, you know, then leaving you the answer in, in, in an instant. It's almost like it's going all in different directions in time rather than just through those wires, you know, straight through it in a quantum computer of atoms, which is what uh, scientists are looking at. So, um, that's, that's what I was, was essentially, you know, it was conveyed something like that. It was a larger sort of resonance. It felt kind of alien, you know, kind of smaller, thinner. I don't want to say smaller, thinner of different timber from humans, way, Way smarter. Just like it was wowing me in every statement, I was just, just astounded, just astounded. And it continued, has continued over time. Now I feel that I'm essentially part of just a larger network of interactions.
0: Does this continue?
1: Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, it does.
0: Up to this day.
1: As a matter of fact, um, you know, I wrote the first book, Alien Mind, uh, the book that uh, you just read. It's about. It's an attempt to look at how aliens think and behave among themselves. If, almost without regard to how we might try to frame them, because, you know, that's what we need to be thinking about. Uh, we know that, well, you know, you know that the, um, the Kepler um, satellite just went up and about a year and a half ago, and it's looking at just the possibility, or it looks like the, almost a the probability, according to Jet Propulsion Laboratory, that there are about 2 billion in the Milky Way galaxy alone, 2 billion Earth-like. That's, you know, possibly like habitable planets. There are more than 40 billion Earth-sized planets probably in the milky way according to kepler's you know data so far so if you look at maybe two million you know some of those two billion uh rather uh probably not good it might be like you know venus a little bit too close just not quite right or mars maybe a little too far out But some of those are definitely going to be uh, have life or the possibility of life, meaning that in this galaxy alone there would be huge variety of of alien life. So the point I was getting at is that you know so we're sort of past the point of whether first contact occurred. And I mean, many people want to think, oh, wait for the government to do a kind of disclosure. (laughs) Well, what really happens is that the the disclosure is almost the idea of putting your foot in 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 the water at the beach. What's already happened is that the way the ocean has has flowed back around that foot. And it, you know, there's this other people, individuals making disclosure. There's certain sources in government disclosing things, and it, a disclosure apparently is already going on. But um, you know, it's the first contact is just it's over with. It's already been done. We're way, way beyond just the idea of whether or not aliens exist, because the first question is, you know, friend or foe? Uh, the nature are they dinosaur? What are they? You know, are they tiny like are they, are they little bitty things the size of a pea? Are they you know giant? We know that they're essentially our most data to date suggests that they're kind of like about our roughly in this kind of ballpark size that we are two feet, uh, you know, opposing thumb and forefinger or at least fingers, and they have you know something they don't look our different skin color different you know skin. Um, head shape, different, you know, different sort of frame. Because imagine, some aliens evolve from possibly, say, an amphibian-like character. This is the story of the contact with Iarga. Just an excellent, excellent book about alien contact. And he, it's by a, guy, a, a Dutch man who had contact in the 60s. And he's talking about contact with aliens from planet only 10 light years away from us real, native evolved aliens, not the, some of those gray aliens or something. Aliens who come in from, you know, according to some accounts from a different galaxy looking for an opportunity here, but these are just native neighbors, very, um, how should you put it, very reserved in how they interact with humans and not abducting and doing this kind of stuff that you read about, that, you know, when you, when you read about so-called grays and their kind of grouping of aliens. So we're past first contact, and it's, it's gotten interesting. My second book is talking about that I'm writing now, I'm only halfway through it, almost, about how we can make our own choice of context. Because, you know, if you you were to ask me what's the most important aspect of contact or all the, the interactions with aliens to date, I would say it's not technology. It's not the devices that, you know, we have or could have, certainly not weapons. As a matter of fact, there seems to be a prohibition on weapons, and you need to know that when you're like we are, just getting started. The most important aspect is the new science of mind that we see in aliens and that we can, you know, they don't tell you everything. You have to sort of pick it up. That's what's interesting. In alien contact, aliens don't usually come along and say, oh, this is how you do this and that. This is the science. They're not going to teach you like you're you were they're just giving you everything they provoke you give you a hint and they expect you like any good teacher does to think it through because then you will have the feel and the full you'll feel responsible for what you just thought but they will provoke you with new ideas and then you have to sort of work your way into an understanding of that in a larger context
0: and did this progress to more contact more dare we say overt contact
1: yeah. Oh, you mean like? Well, you know, I have to. I hate to say it, but I think it's pretty pretty likely that I may have been abducted at least a few times in early stages when I didn't know too much about what was going on. Um, yeah, I, I I I'm almost certain of that. Um, but I'm not the kind of person who's been abducted because I'm genetically useful to them. Apparently, uh, I'm just you know that may have been some sort of thing checking me out. Um, what the, the contact has continued? Just you know, for it's it's gone on. It's, it's as though I'm like. How should I put it? The first contact began, and it seemed to have been aliens who were uh, kind of critical or apart from the grave alignment of aliens. Now, that you know, if you've ever heard of a man named Philip Croft, in the L.A. Times, Pulitzer Prize winning journalist who reported he previously a very conservative mainstream reporter. He reported that he was taken up into an alien ship for several, di- for a few days and then another day and then another day on two later occasions and asked to write on the first trip to write a white paper for this alignment of aliens' diplomatic opening to humankind. He says he saw photos of 1,600 other humans who were also part of this, who were being drawn into it as, quote, diplomatic and also he called them, uh, I forget the other names. Ambassadors? Yeah, ambassadors and diplomats. They were two different stages, half and half each. So what, what uh, Krop was saying is that these aliens were called, he calls them verdants. They're, they're, they look sort of like the greys, but they're taller. They're like 5'4", five, 5'6". Five, they come from a galaxy 14 million light years away. Uh, they absorbed the greys into their alignment, uh, you know, thousands of years ago. And the greys are but a minor sort of um, new, recent uh, member of this, you know, um, at least thousands of alien different populations, most of them younger. That's the strange thing. Very much younger than the so-called verdants. But the, the key point would be that the Verdans said that they come from... It's a galaxy. If it's 14 million light years away, to put that in perspective, yeah. there are about 150 or more, probably more, up to 200 galaxies that are closer to us than is this 14 million light-year-away uh, galaxy. And the Verdans told Kropp that the grays came from the they call Large Magellanic Cloud, which you can see in the southern hemisphere. It's uh, hundreds of uh, thousands of light-years away, moving away from our galaxy at, at the moment. The point being they wouldn't even be native to the Milky Way, and which is most ironic because you hear many people on the web, I'm sure you've heard people talking, maybe even on the air, saying, oh, talking about quote, the Galactic Federation or something like that, as though the greys and such are, they belong here, which, you know, if crops stories are correct, and my my research, you know, I've had I've communicated with them, I should put it this way, I've contended directly with grey alignment aliens because they tried to move in and essentially co-opt my interactions right from the start. So the aliens that I interacted with initially and have continued with over time are critical of the grave. In other words, essentially provoking me to think about, well, what about abduction? What do you think they're doing with the breeding program? You know, so I'm out doing my research and finding out, and eventually, after a year's time, I became uh, capable of actually remotely sort of investigating, probing back from a distance. It's kind of, you know, telepathy, but it's a little bit more like remote sensing in a sense. Dr. Mm -hmm. Stephen of CSETI, talks about this same capacity and he, it it works where you sort of it's almost as though there's a well it's like this you feel it's in this kind of telepathy anybody can do this it feels as though in the center of your brain there's a field effect there you can you're in absolute control of it and it feels as though you do like a half spin and a half flip so that the the energy the waves they converge and scientists do this too when light waves converge and they cancel out you know meaning one wave going one direction has rolling humps and you know dips, and the one going in the other direction has rolling humps and dips, but the humps are exactly opposite, like mirror of each other. It cancels out. And it's what's called a standing wave. And a standing wave, all you have to do is slightly vary that energy just by even contouring it in your mind. That's what's good about it. It's a very smooth feeling. It 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 sort of tunnels down into deeper space time as though going down imagine say deeper in the atomic nucleus while resonating far out over, over vast distances. Stephen Greer talked, I told you about Elden Bird, said it takes no time for these scalar waves or gravitic waves, you know, the, the, the catch-all term is gravitics, because it's like an artificial gravity. So your mind can do this no problem because, like, the the central parts of your brain do this half spin, half flip. It converges energy waves. Then all you do is use the parallel larger parts of your brain to contour that. A narrow contact contour would be like, say, imagine a, a dish that's focused towards a near point. But it's all the space in that whole sort of contour like an orb of space. A much wider sort of contour anywhere in your brain, it can go out on a huge scale, would be out imagine say even like a galaxy scale or, or two distant distant planets. You know, it, depending on how you contour it, it's very precise, it's very metric in that sense. So this kind of scalar resonance is instantaneous over great distances. And that's what I was saying. Dr. Stephen Greer talks about being able to it's as though he's got a remote sort of sense or view of being out there in space looking back. But it's not as bright and visual as, say, your memory of the, the, what you ate for breakfast, if you think about it real brightly. It's a little more faded. It's like more in the, in the dark of your mind, but it's very vivid in, in that sense still. So this remote sensing, this remote sort of, it's a resonance. It kind of goes back and forth between the two, and like it, it, it sort of accelerates around the curvature there. And that's how this, this kind of contact goes on. So the point I'm trying to make is that, there's a new science of mind. Aliens do this all the time. It's normal for them. They even have technology that helps to sort of boost it, to sort of capture it. As a matter of fact, speaking of which, Philip Krop was, was talking about how when he was taken up to this alien ship the first time, he says when he got there, he was taken, after he'd been there about a day, he was taken to the place where the machine that does the, essentially the, sort of the bounce of this kind of energy configuration to take him and then bring him all the way up there to a craft behind the moon, he says it looked kind of like like something in an observatory. What I get from that is you see contours almost like focusing contours and that 's what you would need because again, I was telling you about a resonance of this kind of converge cancel out energy, and you contour it and it can you know, move move for example alien discs you know smoothly contoured you don 't see sharp corners and little you know nooks and crannies. you see round contours because the scalar kind of stuff isn 't like the scalars use rounded contours. It, it's a resonance across a larger space. And
0: Kraft- I think, and I think, and I mean to interject, but I think it's very important that you're talking about Philip Kraft here because you devote, devote a lot of the book to his story. I think it's very important. And what you said about the Kepler telling us that there are billions of Earth-like planets in our own galaxy, that alone should just tell the the scientists who continue to say, no, there's no life I you know, I had a relative who used to work for NASA and used to laugh at me when I used to tell him, look up at the stars. There should be billions or trillions of stars and imagine how many planets are orbiting those stars. And he used to tell me, yes, but the problem is they would not be able to get from there. Do here because they're thinking about the you know uh, conventional Earthling uh, technology, if you will. But George, I have to tell you when I read the the story of, of Philip Kraft, he he said that the Verdants have contacted roughly about sixteen hundred human quote unquote ambassadors or diplomats. Right. Yeah. I couldn't I couldn't avoid George thinking of the series V. Are they acclimating humans for a future colonization of the
1: planet? When I saw V, I couldn't. I couldn't avoid thinking that someone already knows about this, and they used yeah. because it's verdant also myself. I get the feeling that, at some point, these verdants and greys, you, know, you know, they've, obviously you've heard the story about Eisenhower and the Holloman meeting, and also the Morocc, everybody's heard about, you know, all these, these different Morocco field meetings, suppose like a few meetings between Eisenhower, and first they were like tall greys, and then there were these sort of uh, human-looking sort of Nordic types. And they all seem to be part because they've seen by abductees working together, tall graves, small graves, and the Nordics. They're seen working on different abductions when people get abducted according to actual, you know, abductees. So you sort of get the feeling that Verdant and Graves, they contacted humans, for example, after Roswell. Roswell, there's a crash. It's right above the only nuclear bomber base in the whole United States. The U.S. military freaked because they're thinking, like, what in the world is this? You know, is it a threat to us? They're way beyond what we have. And all of a sudden, you see these contacts going on, almost as though they're trying to kind of ease the fears that immediately took grip in the the Pentagon and in, I guess, probably whatever world militaries found out about through NATO and, and other structures. And so it looked as though they were trying to sort of walk their way back into contact and sort of normalize with humans by mainly by giving us a little bit of technology. I shouldn't say us, because when I say us, it's as though I imagine I'm some part of this. But I think you and I and everyone else listening to this, except probably less than one one one-thousandth of a percent, are completely, absolutely cut out of this because, well, because it's a black budget and it's controlled by essentially private interests, as far as we know. And the president is even cut out himself. There's even a law that says, you know, you're not supposed to even mention these... um, these very they're called special access programs to other people even in the government and that you know it's it's almost as if they 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 were erecting an an unconstitutional basis uh, for this it happened uh, in about 1953 when Eisenhower gave Nelson Rockefeller the ability to help reorganize his, his executive department. And this is right after Eisen, Eisenhower gets in, by the way. You know, he's, you know, election in 52, early 53, he's in office. And Eisenhower thought, ah, it's going to be deniability. Here's this big general head of the whole invasion, the European uh, armies going into um, into Norm- Normandy and all of that. And he thinks he's going to be able to say, I don't know about that. I didn't, I wasn't involved in the money Instead, they cut him out completely, they took it private, and it seems to almost be betraying just the, uh, the nature of, of what we envision in the Constitution and, and maybe the, the future of humankind. Because, you know, there have been contacts subsequently, and some of those look very, very strange. They, they don't look like they're, they're what you would want.
0: And you know the story of uh, Bob Ebenegar and Alan Sandler, not to be confused with that Sandler. Sandler. Um, yeah, you know the, the story, gray. right? Yeah. yeah, the tall greys and the, how they were given the footage. And we're talking about thousands of feet of footage. And then at the 11th hour, they pulled the footage out and only gave them 75 feet. And the portion that they kept in their documentary, uh, UFOs uh, Past, Present and Future, if if anybody anybody can watch it on YouTube, by the way, you see the UFO craft landing. Huh? He told me and he confirmed this to me. yes. They confirmed to me that this was real footage, but we were told to say this could have happened or may happen in the future, but not to say that it happened. That was the caveat for them to use that small portion of the film. You knew that, right?
1: Yeah, and what you see is that the aliens, in in this case, they, they want total control over who and how and when they announce or they present themselves. And I always wondered this, you know, we, I just went to a a MUFON, uh, there's a MUFON meeting, I'm not a member of MUFON, but I go to some of the meetings Mm. in Sacramento, and there's a guy talking about men in black, and some of the men in black accounts, probably readers know, or uh, listeners know this too, they sound like they're not even humans, they sound like people show up just instantly, and then they disappear instantly, and they're trying to shut people down. The question being whether some of the the supposedly human-looking aliens would actually, in some cases, be trying to, again, limit information, because... You know, what happened was their meetings, Eisenhower sort of loses control or, or didn't realize it, but he gave away control of alien-related programs it, that could change the whole future of, of human history. And all of a sudden, people are it, the secrecy allows those abducting aliens to do whatever they want because the information not, doesn't get verified and it doesn't get out as much, or I should say didn't. It's getting out a lot more now. Once we have a, sort of like the mainstream, has gotten over that, but most people now think something's going on. They're not exactly sure what it is.
0: Now that we've de- we've decided to talk about aliens being a reality and not needing disclosure, as you say, it's like putting your foot on the water in the water, but you don't need that. The water is there for us well, to, s- to see, just looking at the stars.
1: Yeah, what I would say is, I think what people need to do is, you have to kind of you know, we know aliens, or I do, I certainly many other people do also, um, and there's kind of a consensus that's developing now. People are starting to get the idea that, well, I was at, at a convention, a Bay Area UFO convention, and there was a consensus emerging there that I'd never heard there before about how there appear to be like two different groups. One group of aliens that wants to essentially exploit us for their purposes. They take genes, they use people in reproductive things. They're breeding hybrids, questing this for what? Looks like maybe infiltration here to sort of gain hegemony here. And there's other aliens probably vastly more in number because there'd be pretty much all the Milky Way aliens, uh, well, most of. There'd be some that also abductors, no doubt. But they seem to want to uh, more more carefully introduce humans to the ideas of aliens, not to intrude here, not to, to freak us out, not to try to directly control they, they don't want us to go off in some sort of weaponized, uh, you know, reaction. So you see the, the, these different strains and, and it's kind of, you know, the tall, the tall grays in a sense, I do an analogy, Michael Sala does the same thing, is that the tall grays look and behave and have the same role among the grays as essentially what we have seen of what are called the tall white aliens. The tall whites who Charles Hall, who was a former Air Force man, who was on it's called Indian Springs Air Base down at the southern southwest corner of Nellis Air Force Base, is kind of going off, going the road away from Vegas, going up towards Reno, yeah. the big highway there. It's just about like 40 miles out of town. Uh, these tall whites that Charles interacted with directly, and he was, you know, he just unusually uh, qualified for doing it. They were carrying these stun devices. They were apparently seated a base, allowed a base, in there, as though like they were sort of trading technology to the US military, beginning, in, it looks like at some point in the 50s, in the late 50s. Uh, it was Hall, Hall saw them, I think, in like what, 60 or thereabouts. And it looked like there was a trade for technology, and the tall whites carried these stun devices, and even Air Force generals reportedly allowed them to kill some of these soldiers who either threatened or may possibly even harm them. The weird thing was that the soldiers were not briefed about aliens on the base. It was just they were sort of – they were just terrorized by – something was out there way beyond them. And they'd see the lights. They'd, they'd sort of be, you know, like a – what do you call it? A skirmish line that these aliens would come in, but they're floating on this kind of like platform, and they've got this light around them. And these guys – Charles Hall interacted with them, but they carried these stun devices that could – one setting would, would make you drowsy, that's a potassium setting – another another setting would, would, would just knock, would stun you or almost knock you out and a third setting was to kill somebody Charles Hall even said that one of these tall whites, you know, they can almost pass for human in a crowd, was being taken up the steps to the U.S. Capitol apparently to meet with some legislators, again a big sort of end-around sneak behind uh, both the presidents and uh, who knows you know, I imagine probably be like the most conservative weapons, weapons sort of supporting uh, maybe uh, senators only and walking up the steps, this, uh, this CIA man who was leading uh, this female tall white up the steps uh, slightly, slightly tripped or somehow hurt her, and she threatened to kill him right there on the steps, presumably with one of these little weapons. So the, the analogy is I'm making the comparison between the tall greys who seem to direct and control and are used They're taller as authority figures over the greys, and it seems that the tall whites, in my reading— Seem to be the exact same thing. Almost the, the counterpart intended to do the same with us.
0: And you know, I have to ask you this because let's just tell the people what it is. These these we're only referring to a few races. If we're talking about maybe trillions of races out there, even in, in our galaxy and in, in the few close to us, then what it what's preventing all those other? alien species from coming, because ever since the 80s, George, when I heard Star Wars, and I'm not referring to the movie, I'm talking about Reagan's initiative, I always wonder if there was an alien race working with us, and Star Wars is used so that we do not come in contact with the benevolent race, and this one has the choke over the planet, the verdants or or the IFSPs that you refer to.
1: Yeah, you know Reagan. Reagan. I think Reagan himself may have thought, you know, that judging by his remarks to Gorbachev, about you know an alien threat might finally unite the planet. Yeah, uh, it's a real comment, by the way. It's not a not a not something we're inventing. You can even listen to it.
0: Um, No, it's it's in the intro of this show, of course.
1: It's the UN. So anyway, you could also you could also um, you could construe it that way. I think Reagan thought that these would be weapons against any aliens. Who knows? You know, maybe the abductors, but. What, you, what you're seeing is that you, if, when you see that there have been interactions between humans and maybe the gray alignment aliens over the years, and they keep trying to creep back into it, um, you see how it could eventually become a threat. If we militarize and weaponize too much this planet, what can happen is this. Is that exactly what you're saying? You, you, you pose a threat to our neighboring aliens, and the abducting aliens are already here thinking we've already got an in, we have breeding programs, sort of hybrids or whatever, mixed into the human alignment, could think, guess what? It, the, the whole game is ours, because if they scare off, if humans have weapons and scare off the surrounding aliens who might just think, go slow, be nice to these people, we, we were like they were, you know, don't threaten them, don't march in, don't don't in any way pretend that you're going to have like territorial ambitions to control and, and have, you know, power politics uh, control over humans. There is suddenly almost squeezed out.
0: In this respect, the journalist Philip Kraft, I believe he even mentioned some some people of a high profile. I'm not sure if it was Hollywood or politicians. I believe I read that on the book. Correct?
1: Uh huh. Yeah, people who. Yeah, he mentioned. He said he, it looked like a veritable who's who of different people on the planet who had been contacted. And he mentions one guy in particular. He says, like, he calls him something, Mr. I don't know what he calls him, somebody very important. And crapp was even scared. He, uh, he says, you know, so here's Krop. He's on board. He sees this guy who he knows is really, you know, famous or powerful. I think it's probably more powerful. And Krop was calling him Sir right away. And. It's almost as though, you know, it couldn't have been a chance encounter. Craft is the guy's writing the white paper. He's walking through the halls of this big alien ship, a mile and a half wide, about 122 stories tall, shaped as a big disc. And it can't be just a chance that he runs into this guy. And the guy, what does the guy say to him? He says, he says, oh, I'll see you back down below. It's like, you know, he knows who Crop is. He knows how he could access Crop. It's almost like a subtle intimidation, like sort of like, you know, kind of, these abductors have a way of, for them, what seems to be more important, judging by their, you know, certainly my interactions with, you know, my very cautious, skeptical interactions with them, sometimes uninvited interactions, is that they want control. They they think they know more. They want energy resources. They want some material resources. They want some trading routes, in a sense, in this galaxy, which they, they're almost absolutely insi- insignificant in, because, you know. In our galaxy, if they're not from this galaxy, even the total numbers of, of that population, Croft mentions that the Verdens are about 500 trillion. Sounds like a huge number. But you start doing the numbers, and that reduces to about, well, they, they mentioned that they have 200, and they said 46,000 planets for themselves, and that would put about 2.3 billion of them on each one of those planets. Now, in a big galaxy like the Milky Way, that many planets is like one out of between 600,000 and a million it's not that many. It means they could live in one galaxy mostly and just be fingering out into different places, and hence they arrive here. And they think, you know, obviously, they would think, we, have, we know more, we, we know better. Uh, we should do things our way, and that becomes a problem for us. We're just getting started. I think at this point, you know, I, I'm aware. I've, I've, con- I've been have essentially communicated, contacted with you know, what's happened is I've developed the sort of remote sensing in a way where I can sort of expand. It's as though like you're expanding out into a larger space and sort of probing around. I know this sounds weird to people, but the science of it is very real. What I was mentioning about this kind of remote sensing is it's different now. In the old days, telepathy sounded like, well, maybe some people got it, some people don't. Well, now we have in my book talks about the science, the model for the science, the method the feel for it, and you, I can demonstrate it in telepathic interactions with any human, and people have actually demonstrated you know, telepathy in, in, in satisfactory ways, even in SRI down in, in Palo Alto. But we also have the ability to reproduce it, and that's what my next book is all about. The first book, I think it probably should get you there, so that you see the science, the method, and uh, you can actually copy it and do it yourself. And anything that I say, if you don't want to just take my word, well, you can start probing around to check for yourself. And I even talk about how not to just make yourself vulnerable if you encounter aliens in this regard. And the point I'm trying to make is that so Verdans come along and, you know, with the graves in tow, and the graves sound like they sort of screwed up their planet, according to most accounts we have of it. And, they, and they're sort of pulled in as something like refugees by the Verdans. Well, you get a big, it's like big power politics of a sort. In this universe, you have to remember that big galaxies are the merger, are the result of mergers of smaller galaxies. And that our galaxy will actually merge with the Andromeda. Andromeda. big yeah, yeah, big spiral in about 2. maybe 4, sorry, not 2.4, it's about 3 to maybe 4 billion years from now. It's, scientists used to think it was only 2.1 million light years away, now it's two point four billion million light years away. It's not much distance, it's the closest big one to us. But when these galaxies merge, you have situations. You know, it, it starts as two spirals, and sometimes they merge into this big round, it's called an elliptical galaxy, Planets get displaced into different locations. Only one or two planets or stars will be tossed out of the galaxy. They almost all stay there, I mean, or rather not tossed out, that uh, will collide. And it, it, it just moves and just blends in together. It's so much space. But you could be closer to like the black hole sort of high energy environment in the center of the galaxy. Or you could be out in an area where there's are supernovas. It could be real dangerous for your planet. When the galaxies merge, it causes maybe migrations, uh, refugees, big, it causes, you know, Populations to have to plan for that far in advance, which we have to think in terms of so merging with Andromeda, meaning we can't really grow the human population out to like a thousand different planets and think that, oh, we're going to be welcoming this galaxy because it's going to be even slightly more crowded in about a few billion years' time. And but
0: isn't, to- is, isn't, George, almost identical that our micro—can we say microcosmic problems here on planet Earth— are almost the same when you look at on a macrocosm, uh, cosmic level. Here, if we have, uh, you know, war, then we have refugees going to other countries. Or if we have natural disasters, we have people being displaced. The same thing is happening on the macrocosmic level, where they have to look not only for a, a new planet, but a new, uh,
1: not only a new solar system, but a new galaxy. And even more, we have these power politics. So the big populations that have, you know, imagine we know the universe is at least. billion years old. That's almost 14 billion years. But uh, long before us, because scientists have seen, they've spotted 300 and I think it's 50 light years away, a planet that's actually, if I'm not mistaken, it's 12, 12 and a half, 12.4 billion years old. So imagine planets forming earlier in this galaxy and, you know, allow a billion or two years for, you know, oxygen and heavy metals and things to just blow out and scatter around. Have life evolving billions of years before us in some places. Well, that means that some populations will naturally and logically have grown to occupy more than, you know, sometimes hundreds, sometimes dozens of planets. The Verdans case, they say they're, they're just kind of the weird, at the weird end of our, our near spectrum with 246,000 planets. Um, so they come along and, you know, they're not like us in the sense that they just think they know it better and they, they go out, they, they need resources. They, they essentially use other populations, you know, that's my the way I see it, the way people abducted and treated like cattle, essentially it, as to work for them. So not only would they just be here sightseeing, but they would want us to essentially be pulled in, and what I'm posing is that that's an alien population from the best sources that, that, that I've seen. They're not even from this galaxy. So, you know, they're not Part of any, quote, galactic confederation here. They aren't even native here. The Milky Way aliens, as far as I've sort of probed and checked, are um, different. And my my investigations show that they're preliminary shows like four to five large populations, but um, in different, like, quadrants of the Milky Way. And, you know, mostly, most of the populations you could expect to be smaller, something like us, or just, you know, slightly more planets than we have. So what you're going to encounter. Irregardless of whether you trust Crop or my my readings of it, or you know probably what the U.S. Black Budget sort of complex already has, they probably have information that would would throw a lot of light on this. Is some big populations that can be manipulative come in and try to essentially do certain things? Smaller independents like us, which would seem safer for a young, very naive, very vulnerable population. Other smaller independents that are a little bit more conservative about how they approach you and maybe more spare, but also probably more helpful, or one of these huge populations like the gray sort of verdant alignment that comes in and starts hijacking your population, treating them like cattle breeding hybrids to insert in your lineup and essentially manipulate events in their favor, which is going to deal with you in a more straightforward and a more honest, let's say, a more humane way. It's, you know, it's, it's for the listener to decide.
0: Sure, sure. And I want to really go deeper into all of this, but let's start with some of the fundamental questions. So let's start with the differences between humans and aliens. And I know we're only talking about one, two, or maybe even three races out of maybe trillions. There are probably an infinite number, as I'm saying. But the once you discuss, what is the difference between how they think and how we think?
1: Well, the first distinction I've noticed, and I think other people have noticed too, is this is that humans tend to think their thoughts are in their heads, like a little box, and whatever you say, that's all people are going to know. Among aliens, I'd say, you know, technological aliens, they never think that. They have these psychotronics. They know about this science of scalars. And actually, it becomes more civilizing, because you can't hide ugly, sort of destructive thoughts. Um... It can, your thoughts can be known. As a matter of fact, it, it, people begin to share thoughts, and it sort of it sort of removes some. How should you put it? Some of the pretensions, some of the ugliness. Although it can sometimes seem intrusive, being having been interacted in some of these ways, at first you feel kind of naked, like, you know, now these I have some secrets that wouldn't be particularly flattering. But you just sort of park that stuff aside, like one of those little insect shells, or like a snake skin, you know, and you have to be more honest in, in, in many ways. And I think that's the main distinction is it's not so much an individual identity, it's a social sort of identity. But that's step one, because step two is to start to learning how to reassert your legal rights within that larger sort of context, how not to be censored, how not to be dominated and controlled too much. They have to watch out for, you know, some, like the older aliens in their alignment might come along and say, We want to change you this way. Guess what? They come in and they tune, they try to eliminate genes for certain emotions. Some of those, yeah, violence, um, let's say the worst kind of territoriality, you could turn the volume down a little bit. But what if you end up with passive, obedient, easily used aliens who don't object when, say, the next intervention on a, a new alien population? Uh, planet is is something that's destructive, maybe manipulation of war or something like that. Again, the the big population wants to get more resources, more control. You know, the larger space they occupy, the, this may sound weird, but the more it's a larger energy resonance. They have a larger network of communications, which they say, the Verdens told Philip Croft their communications are instantaneous across those great distances because once they've been there, it's as though it it, it threads out their sort of communications in it. It's almost as though anything you can be aware of, there's already a connection there. It sounds bizarre, right? If you know about the Virgo supercluster of galaxies, you can start to, in your mind, remotely sense the difference between, you know, the, the big black hole in the center of M87, the galaxy in the middle of it, and the Marcarian chain of galaxies and, and the other 2,000 galaxies in it, compare that to the empty space around it, it just stands out. It's like the difference between a rock and empty air right next to your head. It's, it's that vivid in remote sensing, which is, again, scalars, takes no time to go from point A to B.
0: And what do they believe in? And I ask you this question because, you know, you look at planet Earth, George, and you look at from the outside, you're an ast- a cosmonaut and you're looking at the planet, you don't see any lines of demarcations or countries, you just see one planet. But you land and you see lines, boundaries, languages, religions, you name it, everything to keep us separate, keep us divided. What do they believe in?
1: Well, you know, that's a good I I think I, my reading and my understanding is that, Aliens, That's, real aliens that you know that you would meet, and just any alien anywhere—they're not going to be telling you about religion. They would see religion as either uh, one elite's way of manipulating people because it's telling, giving people orders in a sense. Do this? Do, are you afraid of religion? Are you afraid of what you do if you sort of challenge some of the beliefs in religion? I think many people are. They feel like uh, you know I could I could start like to look bad, or maybe I could even be you know threatened in some way if if I challenge certain basic precepts. And those you have elites that use those religions, and you even have aliens who will use religions to manipulate other populations. As weird as that sounds.
0: So they perpetuate that.
1: Some, some do, but I think others. I think others aliens will come along. They'll be straight with us right from the start. They're not religious about you know obey, obey. Quote, you know, this one little Bronze Age sort of, you know, reading of it. But they say, oh, yeah, look at the best of that. If it's true, if you think it's true, then it probably is true. You're probably looking at a universal truth. And they would all, they also, they seem to have a sense of our sense of spirit. This is individual among many people. And yet they think of God as being external some way, but supposedly able to monitor you. Where I think an alien would think that it's universal, sort of like a community of mind. And spirit is what's valid in in, our, in the idea of spirit is what's sort of universally valid and, and shared among other people, not your peculiarities, but your your best parts. So that is you know essentially that's valid, that's real. So, but I don't think they they worship. As far as we know, you know there some accounts obviously sort of human-looking aliens and their story about their priest or whatever. But I think most aliens just have a kind of like an advanced scientific understanding of interactions between. All, all the populations in the universe, and you know, it's not always vivid and like, like the full text of it right in front of you, they, start, they feel into it. And without uh, principles, without sort of respect and nonviolence, without non-destructiveness, you will get nowhere with aliens. But once you, you, you not only think, that, you know, act that way, it's you, you really think that way, you, you know that's right because that's the only possible basis for all these mini populations to interact you're much more acceptable to them, and, and I noticed that too. Although you have to admit, you know, aliens will have defense. If you tried to, if we we had a, a, like our own flying disc and we try to go into our, any other alien's planet, the moment you get near to it, they're going to use their technology to immobilize, to stop you. They're going to query you, what are you doing here? And if they don't want you, they're going to essentially remove you from their system, probably before they destroy your craft. In some cases, you know, it's, if they thought it was a threat to them, they might fire first.
0: And we have to take our one and only intermission, George, but I have to say, one of the things that impressed me with your book is that I don't see this in a lot of books out there, is that you name names. For example, I, when I started doing this show, as I said to you offline, I started doing only UFO shows, but then I found that conspiracies, free energy, alternative health, was everything interconnected. You name, you name George H. W. Bush, and we'll discuss some of his participation here. You name Kissinger, the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers—all what you call or they call direct operatives, correct?
1: Yeah, and that's what, that's what well, you know. When we get back, to it, yeah, I'll explain go that into more detail. And how
0: can people buy Alien Mind, your book?
1: Well, you can get it on Amazon. Um, you'll find it on there it's, if you want paperback. But you can also read it free—the e-version. I, I give that away free because. I realize that in some countries people will not have the money for a paperback from the United States or from Europe. So that way they can just, they just get an internet connection anywhere uh, and they can just read it for free.
0: Well, thank you. And uh, you have a website?
1: Yeah. It's called alienmindbook.org.
0: And you also have a new book that's going to be coming out in the future, correct?
1: Yeah. Pro- I'm hoping for 2013.
0: Okay. Great. Well, folks, don't go anywhere. We have uh, George Lobono here, author of Alien Mind, The Thought and Behavior of extraterrestrials and so much more. This is Famergas, and you're listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thank you very much for listening to the first segment of this interview. We will continue with segment two with our special guest in the Veritas member section. Just go to our website, veritasradio.com, and click on the subscribe link to listen to the rest. We'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and we'll be right back with segment two in the member section. Enjoy.
1: and you're listening to The Veritas Show.